pretty sure we're live now. Good afternoon, everybody. This is John Barrows, Make It Happen Mondays. Hopefully, y'all had a fantastic weekend. Mine was a little frustrating. My Patriots got the shit kicked out of them by the Titans, so maybe a little bit of a wake-up call. I actually said this is probably one of the better things that could have happened to the Patriots going into the bye week because now Bill Belichick can just kick the shit out of them for a solid two weeks and, and get, them, you know, get them back right on track. But uh, anyways, with that, I wanted to inv- uh, introduce a guest here, Scott Ingram. Scott, say hello, everybody. Maybe give a little bit of background on, on who you are, what you're coming from, so we can have this conversation because I think it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, absolutely. Happy, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, my name is Scott Ingram. I am a quota-carrying salesperson. And about two years ago, I uh, started a podcast called the Sales Success Stories Podcast, where I only interview quota-carrying individual contributors who are either number one in their organization or they work for some giant company like LinkedIn or ADP or one of these guys. In those cases, I will settle for the top 1%. And we recently uh, all came together after the Sales Success Summit that we hosted uh, in May, decided to collaborate on a book project. So the result uh, is a a new book that came out just last month called Sales Success Stories, 60 Stories from 20 Top 1% Sales Professionals. And so it's just, it's been a really enlightening journey uh, hearing from and and really digging in deep with the best of the best and seeing the realities of what that is and, and what that isn't. I love it, man. And, and and so, and we'll post that book for anybody who's interested uh, on the feed here and we'll tell you where to get it. But, you know, the the four, you said that the, after reading all these stories, there were kind of four main categories that they all fell into. One was mindset, the other was relationships, uh, sales careers, and then sales process, right? So they all, you said they all kind of naturally fell into those buckets. Yeah. So what, what I asked is we got the group together. Um, everybody agreed to write two to three stories. And, and I think the range is two to four, but on average, everybody wrote about three stories. And I said, look, what we want here is not more like preachy sales content. Tell real stories about your experience and and hopefully tie it to some of the most important lessons and the things that have helped you be the most successful. And what's funny is as we were putting this all together, um, there was a lot of, we tried really hard to think about what's the structure and what are all the different topics that we need to cover. And finally, it was like, screw that. <laughs> Just write the stories. And and I'll take it upon myself to figure out how it all fits together. And so as they came in, these categories, they were just there. And, and I think that the organic nature of that really sort of emphasizes how important these things are, right? So it starts with the mindset, right? Without mindset, you've got, you've got nothing, right? And then going to just how much emphasis there was. And in fact, I think the biggest category was on the relationship. So just how key relationships are and, and the gamut in there, right? In terms of everything from managing uh, just the inner office stuff and getting promoted, but also how do you get to the C-level? How do you stay at the at the C-level and build trust and those types of things? And then the area that I am was really most excited about, because I don't, I think it's a big gap in the marketplace around sales careers. And, and what does that mean? And all of the pieces in terms of finding the right company and finding something that you believe in to sell and getting fired and getting promoted. And, um, you know, one, one of my favorite stories in, in that section is, is about running your career like a franchise, right? And really being more mindful and intentional about treating this. I mean, this is a profession. This is a craft. Mm-hmm. So how do you go about treating it in that way? And then sales process ended up being a little bit of a catch-all, right? Because you, you're talking about discovery and negotiating and all the elements of of a sales process and so that was kind of the the rest of the stuff 
Love it. So, and I'd love to start with <clears throat> what you and I were talking about before we jumped on here, which is kind of the the thing that the perception reality of of what it took to be in that one percent, right? And how there's this perception of you have to be this, you know, win at all costs, like go, 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 best sales guy ever, and really, you know, close for any reason at all so you can hit that top pinnacle, right? Because there's, you know, there's a lot of people out there spouting that shit, you know, in order to fly the fucking jet and, you know, stacks of cash and that type of bullshit, like you've got to be the, er, like in your face, Wolf of Wall Street guy. But what was some of the, you had said earlier, what, what were some of the things that you noticed of the top 1%, not just the top 1% every once in a while, but the ones who stayed consistent? What was that insight that you got there? Yeah, and that, that's really one of my criteria. I really look for that consistency. I'm less interested in people that hit the sales lottery. Like they just landed in the right territory at the right time and like walked into a massive deal. I'm like, no, 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 no. I want to see you repeat it, right? Do it, do it again, be consistent over, over that course. And I think we all have these wrong misconceptions about what that person is. And we buy into a lot of stereotypes, to your point, that come from some people that are are very loud. I, I think that's part of the problem, right? There's, there's yeah. a lot of noise and that's what you tend to see. And those that are at the top, they don't talk about this. Like almost everybody in this book, almost everybody that I've had in the podcast, you've never heard of. Mm -hmm. Because they're not out there beating their chest. They're out there selling and they're out there helping their clients. And where this really struck me and I got it was when we were all together at the first sales success summit last May and just the level of humility and care and um, th this was, these were not the people that I thought they would be when I sort of embarked on the beginning of this process. And now I understand it. Right. And it makes so much sense. Like, of course, the person who cares the most about their customer and their outcome and what's really going to make a difference and improve their lives and, and the results that they're trying to drive towards wow, they do the best? Well, of course, <laughs> because that's repeatable, right? Those people are going to be able to make reference calls for you. They're going to give you referrals. They're going to buy from you again when they change roles or they get promoted and all of those things. If you treat them like a transaction, you only are ever going to get one deal and they're going to talk trash about you because you are trash <laughs> and, sure. and you're never going to do another deal from th with them. And, and so it, it's so great to see the reality of, you know, what I think of as like sales karma. Yeah. It yeah. goes both ways. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I live by what goes around, comes around. Right. And, you know, try to get reps to understand that, you know, your career is a long career and you might have to, you might take some shortcuts now in the short term, right? But the long term, it's going to come back and bite you in the ass. Like there's, there's a couple of things going on right now <laughs> in this world. <laughs> and I don't want to bring up any names because I don't want to give them any publicity. But, you know, there's some people who are doing some pretty like aggressive things. And I actually talked to this kid recently and I was just like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, fuck this. I'm a, I can win. I'm going to do this because I can and all this other stuff. And I'm like, can I just tell you from a 42 year old man's perspective here that whatever you are doing now, you might, quote unquote, win in the short term here, whatever that definition of winning is for you. But I promise you long term, man, this ain't going to pan out well for you. I've just seen it too many times. I've seen that person take that shortcut or screw over somebody or whatever it is and then might not be that week or that month or that year. But eventually it comes back to bite them in the ass. And, and karma is a bitch, right? On both ends. Yeah, totally. Well, 
it, all the people in this in this book are B2B sellers except for one. And that one guy sells cars out of the middle of nowhere. And he he went into this, had sort of a midlife crisis um, and had been like a manufacturing manager. I mean, just very blue collar. And he's like, I'm tired of this. I don't like my job. I had this good experience, this last car I bought. Um, I want to see if I can go do that. That guy in his first three years sold 1600 cars <laughs> and he did it by giving people the experience they've always wanted to have. He gave them the experience that he wants to have as a guy who loves buying new cars right. that you can't ever get as, a, as an experience. And, and that's, that's kind of the worst of the worst. That's why that role is so stereotypical. Right. And do you like it? Do you enjoy it? No, that's why we're all trying to buy our cars online now. Cause I don't want right. to mess with that. Yep. No, I mean, I bought a Tesla last year and it was all online. It was probably the best experience I ever had buying a car. Right. Um, and, and the fact that I didn't have any options, like at first you kind of go into it being like, oh, no, I like the, the name of the game is negotiate. Right. I should go in and, you know, be able to beat the shit out of some sales rep and have some fun with this. But the anxiety around that and the, the idea of going in, like I, that's why I almost never even go into the showroom because I'm like, I don't even want to be attacked by these perception wise assholes. When there's a there's some groups that do really really well in the middle of nowhere because they actually give a shit right, so so let's like kind of let's trans that the transition that into mindset you know what I mean or, or the kind of the first category of you know what's the mindset that you have to be to be great in sales and what were some of the things what were some of the uh, the, the stories or or examples that you saw that were like whoa that that the audience here could maybe take something out of and say okay now how can i change my set mindset or how can i reflect on my mindset to see is it is it in the right shape to be successful yeah for sure so let me let me take paint some broad strokes and then we'll get into some specific, some specifics. So what I, what I think came out is, as you look across that section of the book, you've got people talking about determination and persistence, not taking it personally, right? Um, Putting the customer first, obviously that's, that's going to be a theme being comfortable with, with the uncomfortable and, and a lot of goal setting stuff. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll start there. So the, the story that really resonates and most of these, most of the ones that I'll talk about today, I've shared as free samples on my podcast. So if you go to the sales success stories podcast, you can listen to Kyle Gutzler talk about the mindset of a champion. And so Kyle um, wrote this LinkedIn post. It's been a couple of years now, but he's, he was early on the show, spoke at the, spoke at the summit. It was, has been a really good friend. And he just talked about how it's all started with his mindset. And it all started about the way that he was thinking about things and taking ownership of things and, and really deciding, setting the goal that was massive, right? Ignoring what other people had done or thought was possible, but putting a, a really high bar and expectation on himself. Obviously doing the work to sort of work backwards and understand what is it going to take to actually get there, right? This this isn't the this isn't the secret. Like if I wish hard enough, maybe this thing will occur for me. Like you actually have to then do the hard work and take the action. Yeah. Well you don't just 10 extra goals, goals Scott. You don't just 10 <laughs> extra fucking happens. Sorry, how to get there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, but it really does start with that. And it's having your head right. And it's having the right inputs. I just did an interview uh, over this weekend that'll, that'll go live here next week with a guy who he did 800% of his number this year, closed Ooh. 
absolutely massive game-changing deal, biggest, biggest deal in the history of the company. And he decided the beginning of this year to really become, a, and he'd, he'd been very successful in sales before this, right? Spent some time at LinkedIn. He decided to truly become a student and treat sales as a craft and just dug into the, the resources, became a super fan of my podcast, of other shows, of other books. Just it was it starts with the decision. Yeah. Right. It's a decision to be great. It's setting the bar high and then figuring out how to get there, surrounding yourself with great people and learning from the best. That's really all it comes down to. I mean, it's none, none of this stuff. I mean, there's nothing in this book that you haven't heard before. <laughs> there's there's no secret formula. There's no magic bullet. Right. It just comes down to doing those fundamental things and working your butt off. Yeah, it's funny, you know, keep, keep reps ask me all the time, you know, John, what's the secret to success? You know, what's the secret to success? And, you know, what is it? I'm like, working your ass off, period. I, I like, I look, I'm not the brightest kid out there. You know, I, I went to a state school, drank my way through four years of college. You know, I'm not dumb, but, but I did, I'm not a Harvard MBA grad by any stretch of the imagination, but I'll outwork you, period. Like there's, and there's no real substitute for that. Now, if you take that hard work and, and, you know, mentality, and then you apply some smarts to it, then, and that's why one of, I got 12 personal guidelines to success. And the first one is work hard and smart. You know, people say, I'll oh, just work smart. No, shut up. That <laughs> the people who are just looking to work smart, they're looking for that, that, that easy, you know, the, what's the shortcut. Right. And, and so they forget about working their ass off. And, and if you work your ass off first and then you figure out how to work smart along the way, you have a chance. Um, yeah, that, that's the name of the game. And I, I, I joke, like I'm waiting to, to find the person that I can interview that has, is nailing it, is number one consistently, and they work 30 hours a week. Yeah. Doesn't exist. I mean, if you yeah. know that person, reach out. I, I want to talk to him. Yeah, Tim Ferriss, four-hour work week type of bullshit, right? Can right. You, like, nope. okay, good for you, Tim. You figured it out. But the rest of us... There's, the, I mean, again, unless you hit the lottery or unless you do something significant, uh, you know, the likely it'll it'll kind of keep you there. It's like that book, Good to Great, right? It's like they had Lee Iacocca come on, and yeah, like Chrysler was a very good company when Lee Iacocca was there. But as soon as he left, that company fell through the floor because they had no succession plan, they had no you know structure around it. Whereas GE, everybody knows Jack Welsh is the top you know CEO at GE, but GE had a whole bunch of really good CEOs before Jack Welsh and a few after him. You know what I mean? So they were consistently great. Whereas Chrysler was. See you later. And I think that holds true for when you said you know when we talked about that initial one as far as you know. The, the the not the surprise but like the ones who the one percenters who stay at the top are the ones who are consistently great because they give a shit versus the one who hits it one you know just blows it out of the water one quarter or one year even but then the next year you know and, I, and I'll use I'll one more analogy that you'll probably hate but uh but the Patriots right like the Patriots look we at all the, hate the Patriots analogy I know you do I know <laughs> and, I, and, I'll, and bring it right but, but they work <laughs> but here's an example last year. Every every year there's there's one team that's like catches fucking fire and and goes through it and, and probably meets us in the Super Bowl and then wins or loses. And they might win, like the Eagles last year. Yep. And, and who did the Cowboys beat on Sunday? Right. Thank you very and, much. And that's my point, right? Like last year, the Eagles were a very good team once. Right. Exactly. They're and not and making yesterday the a three and five team beat them. They're not they're not making the playoffs this year. 
Right. You know what I mean? Whereas yep. the Patriots, they might not win the Super Bowl every single year, but they win the AFC championship every single year. And they're in the AFC playoffs every single fucking year. Yeah. And that's because they have a system and a process for greatness. And they have that mentality of greatness. There is no, you know what I mean? There is no, oh, you know, we're just going to try and see what happens. No, 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 no. We're going for it. And we have a plan to get there. So I think that mentality and that mindset is critical for anybody in success. And how are you, just out of curiosity, like goal setting, you talked about that. Like, how are you on, has, has, what were you like before from a goal setting standpoint? And then after you read through some of these stories, did that change um, just for your own personal growth and success? Yeah, for, for sure. So again, the, the most consistent theme, and, and there's specifically a story about this, and I stuck this one in the sales process side, which is about setting your goals at two to three X your quota. And and he did, I mean, there's a chart that, so that was Trey Simonton, who it's funny, I was going to mention, mention Trey as, as you talked about that and the consistency is when I reached out to, at the time he was working at Bizarre Voice. So I, I used to work at Bizarre Voice, had a lot of relationships there, reached out to the head of sales. And I'm like, who's your number one guy? I want to talk to him. Trey had never been number one, number one, but for four or five years was always number two or number three of, of a pretty significant team, right? So it's that level of consistency. And in my mind, that's the true number one, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's that very consistent performer. And what's great about the way that Trey broke it down, one, I think it's just, this is a mindset piece is, is the shift of what would I have to do to get to 300%? Let's set the bar there and start the thinking there and then work backwards. And he reached out to his sales ops team and, and really worked to understand not only his numbers, but the team's numbers, right? So how many calls do we have to make to get a meeting? How many meetings do we have to get to get an opportunity? How many opportunities do we have to get, you know, to, to close a piece of business? I mean, this is basic math, right? Yep. There's no rocket science here. I mean, uh, an average sales guy like me can, can do this level of math, right? We're all good with this. Yep. And, and that's really what it is. So it's, and for me, I, I think the biggest thing is I, certainly I understand the math, but I think it's that mindset and the next level of thinking that you have to get to, to figure out what do I have to do? Because you're thinking on a different level when, when you're at two or 300% than when you're thinking about, okay, what do I have to do to make my quota? Like that's a recipe to miss. Yeah. And that's why it's funny because you, you know, this was a I was I was just having this conversation with Morgan. So my guy that I brought on board last year, you know, uh, I said next year, Morgan, I need you to be. We need to figure out how we're going to hit your you know quota as far as how many days of training that we need. And I need you to look at the years worth of data that you've sent out. How many calls? How many like your stuff, not from inbound leads, but like your outbound activities, so we can identify that as a channel of sales. Mm -hmm. Because the biggest metric that anybody needs to understand is, is how many meetings a month do they need to get to be able to drive the revenue, right? And so those meetings, and then you can bring it up into channels. Okay, you got cold calling, you got networking events, you got partnerships, you got all these different things. So how can you optimize each one of those channels? So we literally just had that conversation. And one of the things that struck me, you know, so Salesforce, you know, one of my biggest clients, when I first started working with Salesforce, Benioff, um, brought up, I went to a couple of their sales kickoffs and I, and he, and he asked like, the, and he brought the top sales reps in the company, um, up there. And he said, okay. And, and the question he asked him was, what is the first thing you do when you get your quota at the beginning of the year? And every single rep, every single rep said that they at least double it, if not triple it, if not more, I think there was one kid that took and, and did the, and I hate to say it, but 10 X, <laughs> right. right. Um, but, but because, 
you know, they might not. So when you reach for that goal, that that three X, that four X goal and you miss it. Well, OK, bummer. But you crushed your one X goal. And it's exactly. almost like any sport, too. Like if you talk to so I'm, I'm trying to get back in shape and I'm going to a boxing you know, class on a regular basis. And one of the things they talk about when you punch, you don't punch the bag or you punch through the bag. Right. Yeah. Right? Same thing with uh, you know, people who run marathons and stuff like that. You don't run to the finish line. You run through the finish line, right? Because if you run to the finish line, you're inherently just as you're getting there, just like winding down and then you, you might just, you know, might just make it. Whereas if you see the finish line another hundred yards down the road, you're plowing through that to get to it. Right. Exactly. Love it. So let's, let's talk about relationships now. Like, so what's, what what was you said champions right I, I mean i know everybody's dying to find that real champion that can, can sell them and i've i've really got religion around champions as far as like if you find the real champion um man your life becomes real easy but first of all i think people need to understand what a champion is um and because i think it's probably one of those uh, overused phrase in sales right touching base and checking in are one and two they're the worst phrases in sales but <laughs> But, but champion, I hear it all the time. I got a champion. I got a champion. How do you know you have a fucking champion? Just because somebody's willing to talk to you, right? So just for everybody, before we get into this, you know, one of the things I would recommend everybody do, sit down with their managers and their team and have a real conversation of what an, an actual champion means. So when you use the words, you know what it means. In my world, I got coaches, fans, and champions. Like fans are people that like us, you know, maybe end users, that type of thing, but have zero bearing on the decision. Coaches are people that can tell us who we need to talk to, where we need to go. But again, when the door shuts, they're not there. When it comes time to make a decision, you hear stuff from coaches like, hey, you didn't hear from me, but right. That type of thing. It's like, thanks for the intel. But if I can't use it to me, champion two things. One is they can steal budget. They don't have to be the budget holder, but they can steal it. And they agree to be your champion. You actually have the conversation with them, right? So that's my definition. People can define it other ways, but my recommendation is make sure you define it. So, but let's talk now, Scott, about, you know, the, the, the relationship side of the house and what were some of the big key stories or, or, or takeaways that you brought from relationships of top tier reps and how they managed them? Yeah. So uh, I'll, for this one, I'll reference a story from Trung Nguyen and Trung is personally for me, I mean, somebody that I have learned the most about what true enterprise sales is. And, and this guy's history is insane. He was the number one global account manager at Dell. Then he went to Microsoft and, and did, you know, deals that were tens of millions of dollars in industries where they hadn't done business before, right? So he went in and closed a healthcare deal where they had to get all sorts of regulatory stuff done that just to break through. Same thing for financial services. He, he went and did the deal like that. And in this story, the title of the story is I'm six foot four and devilishly handsome. Trong's like, I'm being really generous if I say Trong's like 5'7 in, in reality. <laughs> yes. But what what he did, and and I think this is so brilliant, is and again, this is this is a very, very large enterprise play. So this is won't be wholly applicable to everyone, but I think the the nuance and the insight is is useful. He would start basically at the ground level and would understand and dissect like what's going on what do you how do you see the world where are the gaps where are the opportunities he would distill that and take that as a value based conversation to the director level or the manager level and right. he would, and he would give so they get a give like hey here's here's what i'm hearing because when you're in those types of roles when you're leading there's so much that's filtered 
from sure. you. And especially if, if you're at the sea level in a large, large Fortune 500 uh, size organization, you've probably got eight, nine layers below you. And yeah. when that goes through that many layers of filtering, like a huge world ending problem looks like a unicorn, like shitting rainbows. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute, I, I don't understand. And so he would basically just keep working this. And so here's the give for you. Help me understand what's going on. Now he'd elevate that and have that conversation at the VP level. And along the way, he's also solving problems and helping them. So the, the basic gist of this story is he finally gets an intro to the global CIO. And she says to him, Trong, I, after all I heard about you, I thought you were going to be six foot four and, and devilishly handsome. Like you're, you're amazing. Right. And, and so here's the thing. I, I think that what's even more important about that, I, I've had a lot of people reach out to me from big brand name companies, right? The Salesforces, the LinkedIn's, they're like, we can get a first meeting at sure. the sea level. Like yep. that's not a problem. We've got a brand we can ride, yep. but we can't get a second meeting. Yeah. And it's because they're asking all the same stupid questions. They're like, oh, what keeps you up at night and on all of this stuff? You know, and, and there's so much, you know all about this, right? There's so much conversation in this space right now about you've got to be adding value. But we're not talking enough about what does that actually mean? How do I actually do that? How do I add value? And I think this is a really good example of that, right? Where if you can be that filter and bring the raw truth, truth to the executive level, mm -hmm. That global CIO met with Trong dozens of more times after that and became that champion because yep. of the work that he did and the value that he brought. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a big trend right now. Well, big. There, there's a trend right now going on in sales with design thinking, right? You know, you know, design thinking. Uh huh. So yeah, effectively for those out there that don't, it's it's you know, Apple doesn't just make a product and then stuff it down our throat saying here use it because we're the smart people. Apple watches the way you work, right? And they create products based on how people work. And so design that's design's thinking from a product standpoint, but design thinking from a from a sales standpoint is you literally go experience the brand. So for instance, if you're going to sell to, you know, CVS or Walmart or something like that, like you go to the stores, you go through the experience, you try to return something, you know, you sign up with the app, you see those type of things and, and you collect that information about how their workflow goes and what the gaps are. And then you build a story around how you can help support that. And that's where you bring it upstream. So it's, it's the legwork you have to do, which is harder, but the bigger, the payout for the bigger deals is way bigger. I mean, I used to do this with copier sales, you know, I mean, copier sales, like talk about selling a commodity, right? Like you can't just, you know, go in there and sell a multi-million dollar copier deal. Right. You have to go figure out. I used to go in and literally watch where and how the 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 employees worked. Did they have printers at their desks? Did they walk? You know, did they have a convoluted path? How much time did they spend doing that? How much were they spending on those analog versus digital devices? And it took me a lot longer to, you know, I almost got fired because my boss was like, what the fuck? We brought you in here thinking you were going to crush it because of the way you interviewed and stuff. And you haven't closed shit in six months. And I was like, dude, 
back the fuck up. Like you, you've, you've destroyed this territory for the past five years. I need to come back in and build some trust back into this. And this is the way I'm doing it. Now, obviously a lot of people don't have the, the <laughs> ability to push back on their boss like that, but I just kind of looked at it and said, I'm not going to be successful this other way. So I'm like, the, that was the way every other rep had treated that territory. And about six months in, nine months in, after learning all the, the businesses and everything like that, I brought a book of, of, of a plan for each one of my clients that optimized and gave them insights that they didn't even know about. And it was like taking candy from a baby at that point. It was huge deal after huge deal after huge deal. But it's I let me ask you this. On with that, my concern right now is we're in a world of, of, of short-term gratification, right? I mean, uh, a very scary thing that I heard a while back was, and I'm not going to name who it was because I don't want to get political, but they had interviewed, uh, no, it was, the discussion was around this. There was an interview with 50 of the top CEOs of the top 50 com com companies in the world. And they were asked, if you could make a, if you had to make a decision today that would, um, there would be in everybody's best interest in five years, the, the, the economy, the, your company, your people, the environment, all of it, right? But it meant one penny off of your stock price today. Would you make that decision? 50 out of 50 CEOs said no. Oh. Because they said, look, if I make that decision that costs us one penny off of our stock price, that means I won't make it for five years. I won't make it five. So how do we combat that as sales reps who are being told, hit the list, 50 dials a day, close your quarter. I mean, we are in a monthly, almost daily pressure right now to produce results. So how do you suggest or how is there any stories or any insights that you've gained from the conversation of how to balance the, the go, 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 have to close and hit your quarter and hit your, hit your month versus long-term relationships and doing things the right way? Yeah, so let's use that as the transition into the career conversation. Yeah. And actually a story that I wrote uh, in the book uh, was called Getting It Done and Doing It Right, A Recipe for a Great Sales Culture. And when I joined, uh, I worked for Eloqua uh, before they went public and, and through the, the Oracle acquisition. Um, the guy who I was interviewing with was based, my, my hiring manager was in San Francisco, but the chief revenue officer was here in Austin with me. And okay. so I spent more time with him. And, and at one point in one of those conversations, he pulls out a napkin or, I mean, it was a little scrap of paper and he sort of mapped out like, look, here's, here's the vision. This is, this is the way we think about the sales organization. He, he draws a four by four grid on the left-hand side, he writes, getting it done. And on the bottom, he writes, doing it right. And he says, okay, look, so here's how this works. You've got four boxes. Top right is easy. You're getting it done. You're doing it right. You're a star. We're going to recognize that. We're going to reward that. That's what we want, right? Mm -hmm. Bottom left-hand quadrant. You're not getting it done. You're not doing it right. This is sales. You're probably fired. So he draws an F in, in that box, right? But then here's where it all shifts and, and the mindset from, from two angles here. Bottom right quadrant. So this is you're not getting it done, but you're doing it right. He, he writes the letter C in that box and says, we believe that good things happen to good people. Like we see that you're, you're doing the right things. You're just not seeing the results yet. We're going to coach you. We're going to work with you. We want to move you up to that top right quadrant and we want you to be a star. But what was really fascinating. So, so I'll say all of that to answer your question and say, I think it's about finding the right organization. I, I am yet to talk to a number one salesperson who is at that level despite their boss. Yeah. 
you have to have somebody that is on your team. You have to, you have to be in the right organization and have the right product. Cause if you don't believe in it, it ain't ever going to happen. Right. So that's the answer. I think to that question is you have got to do your crazy due diligence on the organization and on the leadership that you're looking to work with and see, can they make those hard decisions? Do they have that longer term view or are they super impatient? And if you miss the quarter, you're going to be out on your ass. Mm -hmm. Right. So the last box though, this is, this is what was fascinating to me that that'll go back to the very first piece of the conversation we were having. He writes the letters FF in that top left quadrant, which is you're getting it done, but you're not doing it right. And he's like, if, if you're that person, like you're crushing it, but you're running over people to get there, you're fired faster because that's what creates toxic sales cultures. Because what happens in most cultures is that person is way at the top and we reward them and recognize them and don't acknowledge what they're doing yeah. that's harming our customers and the rest of the organization. So that, that for me was eye-opening and told me, and, and now that chief revenue officer is the CEO of Workfront. His name's Alex Schutman, an incredible, incredible guy. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on a couple of things there. And, and for everybody listening, you've heard me say this multiple times before. Like, if you don't love what you do, go find something else to do. Because this is, first of all, it's a brutal profession. Um, it's a thousand times harder when you don't believe in what you sell. Um, uh, if you do believe, I'm not saying it's easy, but shit, is it easier? Um, and because, you know, I've heard me say this where I called somebody said early in my career, and I believe this to this day, that sales is the transfer of enthusiasm. Right. It's like you believe that strongly in what you do that, you know, and that's why, by the way, founders, the most engine, the dorkiest of dorky engineers can be can be incredible sales reps. You know why? Because they transfer their enthusiasm for what they what they sold or what they created. You know, they created this thing. And then when they get up there and start talking about it, their enthusiasm about it flows through because it's theirs and they're passionate about it. And that's really what you need. Now you need to bottle that and figure out how to do it consistently. But if you don't really genuinely believe in what you're selling and you're just in it for a paycheck or you're just in it for a commissions, please, please, please go either get the hell out of this profession or go find something else to sell that you can actually believe in. Because then going back to career, you know, that's where your career will be an extraordinarily rewarding career in sales. Um, if you find something you can believe in because you will be successful long term doing it. Um, I did want to jump on one thing before we get into this last one. I know we're a little bit over here, but the last one, um, as far as, uh, you know, believing in what you do in your careers and stuff like that, I, I do think, you know, I think reps should kind of segment out their approach to quality and quantity. So for instance, I think we should all have like a, a handful of accounts that we're not going to hit the list. We're not going to put on some spam filter. Like we're going to do the due diligence and section out some of our time on a weekly basis to focus on them while they're, you know, the mass majority, you know, maybe those are the, just the tier ones and maybe the tier twos are the ones we make the phone calls to send the emails out to and do the kind of singles and doubles where those big ones are going to be the grand slams. So instead of just going all in and all I'm going to do is quality, because unfortunately I fear that a, a large part of our population will get fired if they just focus on doing the right thing, but don't close anything for three to six months, they'll just get fired. Even though two years down, it's going to be the best thing in the world for the company. 
they'll get fired before that kind of like that 1%, you know, uh, drop in the stock price. So I think you can do both, but I would, I would section out a, a list of clients to say, okay, I'm not going to beat the shit out of these. I'm not going to call them every week. I'm not going to have them on a cadence. I'm just going to be thoughtful with my outreach and try to build that groundswell so I can tell that story. Yeah. I mean, I get that question a lot, right? I, a lot of younger reps will reach out to me and say, look, my boss wants me to do this. I, it's not working, um, right. you know, but I want to try this other stuff. How do I do that? And it's one of those, again, it goes back to hard work. I'm like, keep doing, you've got to do what your boss expects of you. Keep yeah. doing that. But now make that carve out, do the extra work and do it your way. And then just show the difference, right? If that actually works, then you can, you have real evidence and you have real results because you closed some deals, you got some business and you can say, Hey, actually I've been doing this. Like your way isn't really working for me this way is. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of what comes across. And that's another of probably the biggest, most important themes, whether we get to the sales process piece here or not mm -hmm. is it all comes down to being the best version of yourself, right? I'm yet to find somebody that is hook, line and sinker. I use XYZ sales process that I got, got out of a box, out of a book, out of a whatever, right? They have become a student, studied lots of these different things, consumed lots of books and lots of podcasts, and they've cherry picked the things that fit them and who they are and who their customers are and what their solution is. And over time, they're that. And, and that's where I think the leadership gap is in sales today is the, the best leaders are those that encourage that and polish diamonds, right? The worst leaders are the ones who are like, no, just do it my way. When yep. that way doesn't connect with that person, it's not who they are. It's never going to work for them. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I mean, I always say to people, you know, one of my favorite things to tell everybody is split test everything you do, right? Because then you'll figure out what works for you. And I say, look, I'm, you know, when I train you, for instance, you know, I'm John Barrow from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm about as direct and in your face as it gets when it comes to sales, right? Like I, I have no problem asking the hard question. I have no problem pushing you. And I also have no problem losing the deal because I run my own business and I got a big fat pipeline. So if you're not the right fit and you're trying to negotiate with me and I say, sorry, I don't really negotiate on price, that type of thing. And you say, well, then piss off. Okay, I don't give a shit because I'm not having somebody over my shoulder, right? So I have a lot of the luxury of being as direct and in your face as I can be because I'm doing it for the right reasons and, and whatever. But if a lot of people out there who don't have my personality go ahead and try to say some of the shit that I say, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not part of their, their you know, who they are. And so it'll come across. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we all have to be uncomfortable in sales because if you're not getting uncomfortable, you're not getting any better. But you also have to be, to your point, true to being you. Right. Because yeah. if you're not you, it comes through. I mean, you can, you've, I, I'm sure there's plenty of people you've seen that, oh, wow, on Facebook and, you know, on, on LinkedIn and Twitter, they're one person, but then you meet them and you're like, whoa, you lose credibility immediately as soon as I figure out that you're not the, the same person that you're representing in, in one format or the other. Right. Totally. Well, and I, I think buyers have a sixth sense about that. Right. Like if they, if, if you don't believe in the solution, if you don't believe in the process, if you don't believe in the value, they, like you set off their spidey senses in a bad way and they don't trust you. And the trust comes from, look, this is who I am, good, bad, and ugly. <laughs> and this is what I'm trying to help you get done. And, and if that's true and authentic, you win. And that's, it's funny because I'm watching this and, and this will kind of be one of the last points here, but I'm, I'm watching this happen with Morgan, right? So Morgan, you know, he was in the sales loft world of cadences and templates. And we started off with that, right? Because I wanted to get him messaging and that type of thing. But then, 
you know, so he does two things. He prospects obviously. And then he goes and delivers training and the prospecting stuff. He's like, John, I'm just not getting the results that I would expect from this messaging that we've crafted and all this other stuff. And I go, I'll tell you why I'm like, yeah, I'm not surprised. He's like, why not? I'm like, because you're, you're going through the motions, Morgan. Like you're, you're looking for the perfect template. You're trying to script the perfect email. I go, your results aren't really going to change all that much until you start giving them shit. And, yeah. and I mean that start literally giving a shit where when you go to somebody's website, you start to look at them, not as a potential lead. So I can send you an email, but as a client that we can actually help because you know what we've done. Like he's done enough trainings now to know the impact that this training has on people. So transfer that enthusiasm, go look for those type of clients. And then, you know, same thing from a training and delivery standpoint, it's an interesting thing to watch the transition of you know, presenting a slide deck because it's John's slide deck and I have to go through this and it's, and it's not him. So it's kind of kludgy and not great and whatever it is. And then, you know, you finally make it your own and you start really caring and, and, and owning like the stories around each section and that type of stuff. And he's literally just now in the past couple of weeks clicked into that, like I call it catching your sales groove, right? Where it's just like, all right, I'm going to stop going through the motions and just trying to look for the perfect thing to say and the perfect template and that type of thing so I can hit my numbers. And I'm going to start giving a shit about what I do and walking away from more opportunities that I find because it's not the right fit. I don't want to cram something in there, right? And that's when you start to get to that significant, you know, stay at that 1%, right? Yeah. So the the last interview I did on my show was with Jeremy Levier, who works at Lead IQ. This dude is yeah. 40 meetings a month. The guy is a goon. I mean, it in the best way. He's filming videos, singing songs with a guitar that he doesn't know how to play. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, and it's hilarious. Right. Yeah. And, and he's wearing throwback jerseys because he's a big basketball fan. Like yeah. Jeremy is Jeremy. And that yeah. resonates because there's there's no polish there. There's no like, oh, this guy's so buttoned up. I'm totally t-. you're like, what the heck is this? This is awesome. I have to meet with this guy. Yeah. And could I do that? Hell no. That's no. that's yeah. just not it's not me. I can't do that. Yeah. So you have to find that you have to find that thing. And it's it's just a discovery process, you know, and and, and that's where the getting com- uncomfortable and A-B testing and trying stuff is, is like, let me figure it out because we don't come out of the box knowing. Yeah. Love it, man. Well, I think we we could keep digging into as many stories here as possible, and but uh, but let's let's cut it here because uh, I think a half hour is a good time frame for everybody to you know pay attention to on the podcast. But talk to everybody about where can they find out more information about what you're working on. Again, name the the book. Is it on audio? Is it you know where where can people find out more information about this type of stuff and follow what you're doing? Yeah, totally. It's it's all over the place. But if you go to top1.fm forward slash book, so T-O-P, the number one dot FM forward slash book, that'll take that'll get you sort of to everywhere. So it'll have links to the ebook, the paperback book, the audio book, all of that stuff. You'll also be on the podcast site at that point. So you can get subscribed to the podcast, go check that out and learn about the next sales success summit that we've got coming up in October of 2019. Awesome. Yeah, man. Very cool, my friend. Well, I appreciate you coming on board here and everybody go check out the stories because, you know, there's a lot of time, you you know, there's all sorts of training out there that you can go take. But a lot of times I learn more from other people's failures and success than anything else. So uh, the stories are where it's at. So go check out Sales Success Stories. And uh, thank you so much for coming on, Scott. I really appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, John. All right, everybody. Make it a great week. Let's go make it happen. Later.